Homestyle Green, episode 99. Prefab, Passive House and Passion. G'day and welcome to episode 99 of the Homestyle Green podcast. This is the podcast all about inspiring people to build a better place to live. And by that, I mean sustainable housing. This week, I speak to Chris Corson from EcoCore, and he's a passionate guy. In fact, he describes himself as a father, a builder, a designer, a building scientist, passive house pioneer, and righteous dude. So that was his uh, Twitter profile, by the way, and I figured well, I should get him on the show. And he did not let me down. He, uh, he's got... Pretty, uh, pretty passionate views about Passive House and also just about why he uh, thinks it's so important to build houses better than, than what we have been. Before we get into that, just a quick shout out to Nudora who brings us the show each week. Thank you very much to the support of Nudora. Insulated Concrete Forms, a fantastic way of building an energy efficient building quickly and cost effectively and they also have great sound uh, attenuation sound proofness if that's a word um, and something else i just recently been researching is uh, resilience as well and Nodora are incredibly strong withstanding uh, are capable of withstanding uh, very high winds over 200 kilometers per hour so if you're in a high wind zone then Nodora could be a good solution for you as well well, it's a bit of a long interview today. Now, I caught uh, Chris while he was in the car, so hopefully the sound quality is okay, and uh, we, we had a bit of a, a longish chat, so we'll jump straight into it. I started out by asking Chris why he does what he does. Oh, geez, that's a, that's a loaded question. So uh, I've been designing and building buildings uh, for my entire life, basically, uh, my primary driver um, relative to passive house, and, and I use sort of the passive house building energy standard as a baseline for architectural design. Uh, but the short answer to the question is um, because it provides the capacity to combat anthropogenic climate change through the built environment. And I'm a professional that works in the built environment, and it's a, you know, conscious, responsible way to approach um, the current state of affairs in terms of uh, global warming and those types of things, climate change, anthropogenic climate change. Right. So for you, it's about looking after the environment. And as a builder and a designer, is that a unique perspective? Uh, yeah, this is the United States, so even politically, <laughs> it's a unique perspective. <laughs> so is that, um, a cha- is that a challenge for you? Uh, no, it's not. It, it allows me to really uh, labor with love in terms of running and owning a business and running a company, and it allows me to integrate my own personal philosophies with uh, my business and incorporate that into our business model. And I think that that's a, a healthy, responsible, sort of joyous way to go through life and, and conduct business. Absolutely. Um, the byproduct, yeah, the, the byproduct of that is that by building the types of buildings that we're building and doing the things that we're doing, they just happen to be 
extremely high quality, extremely resilient, extremely well built, and comprised of materials that have, you know, as least or minimal embodied energy um, as possible. So, you know, we try to incorporate the a sort of gestaltic consciousness, if you will, into, into what we're doing in terms of processes, uh, energy, um, and just overall consciousness of how we use the things that we use, why we use them, and, and like that. You mentioned quality there, uh, as well as the um, the sort of bigger outcomes, the environmental outcomes for yourself. What's the main driver for your clients? Like, do you sell sustainability, or do you sell on the the quality and the performance? Um, I think that there's no prescriptive answer for that question. Um, it depends on the client, and I think different clients have different drivers, and depending on what their drivers are, I think that one or several of or all of those things appeal to people on, on different levels. Um, the focus of our entire practice is really passive house per se, so we don't get clients coming to us saying, we want to build a a greenhouse, or we want to build a, a, a low-energy house, but we just want it to be pretty good. We don't right. really have those types of discussions. We have a, a wall assembly, a system that we're using that's actually in the process of being certified by the Passive House Institute. So we're, we're slated to be the first um, Passive House certified component manufacturer in North America. Um, which is exciting, but yeah. uh, so those, our, our clients are looking for low energy buildings. They're looking for something along passive house lines to begin with. Whether uh, the sustainability is appealing to them, whether social responsibility is appealing to them, um, or whether it's a, a decreased cost of ownership or a lower cost of ownership or resiliency. I think there's a lot of things that speak to a lot of people. It's hard to uh, sort of ascertain on what level it speaks to people. I think they all speak to our clients in different ways. Um, I can tell you that the, a majority of our clients tend to be engineering-minded people who okay. are extremely well-educated um, and pretty well versed in what they want to begin with and often find us after a year or two of searching for other builders or architects or whomever to work with and not getting the answers that they were really searching for. So um, but the short answer, I'm, I'm being careless, but the, the short answer is I think all of those components appeal to different, to different people in different ways, but they're yeah. all relevant. And it sounds like there's enough brand recognition of Passive House in general that people can see that on your website, for example, on your, and, and know what it is and say, yep, I want to work with this guy because he knows Passive House. Um, you know, I don't – I hope so. <laughs> I, 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 I think so. I mean, our, we're, we're busy and our business is growing, albeit slowly. Um, I think that – Passive House is gaining more and more momentum, and, you know, I sort of, when we reconfigured how we were doing things about five years ago, 
I sort of went out on a limb and decided to build a firm around basically passive house as a building energy standard. And yeah. at that time, there were only about 10 passive houses that existed in the United States. So yeah. I was really going out on a limb, but I was confident in what the market was there. And I was confident that things would begin to take off. Um, and so I hedged my bets a little bit. I think that there were some things that I was right about and foresightful about and things that I was just off on for whatever reason. Um, I spent a lot of time in Europe, and I worked in Europe a little bit, so I've I've been exposed to the concept of passive house for quite a while. I didn't necessarily think it would take off in the United States um, yeah. in the fashion that it had, but I saw the writing on the wall, and so just made a decision, and, and that sort of dovetails into what my drivers are as well. So it gave me an excuse and an opportunity as a professional just to basically design and build the kind of buildings that I wanted to work on. And, yeah. and you know, I figured it was kind of a passive house or bust scenario when we were first getting up and running. Yeah, because five years ago wasn't exactly a great time to be a builder, I imagine. No, I started a business built on an unexisting platform in the worst economy in 50 years. It was brilliant. <laughs> hey, now, the other limb you went out on was prefab, and you mentioned yep. that you're in line to be the first uh, certified components producer. What? Why have you gone down that path? What's the benefit of prefab? Oh. The benefit of prefab, we're really uh, a panelization. So in terms of prefabricating, I think it's important to separate sort of panelization from modular construction because we're not a modular builder. Yep. Um, but we do panelize wall assemblies. Um, a lot of it had to do with... So just, just, to um, clarify, just to clarify that, that doesn't mean you, you make parts of houses in a factory... Uh, like whole rooms, you you just make walls um, on yep. uh, inside, and then take a completed wall and put the walls together. Is that is that how you work? Yeah, we basically build we build the entire house in in panels in sections that are you know anywhere from sixteen feet long to forty feet tall is about our maximum panel size. Yeah, and then. Um, you know, we break them apart into components, load them on a truck, ship them to a site, and and stand up the walls and build the house. It allows us to be more precise from a design standpoint. It allows us to be much more precise from a construction standpoint, to work in a controlled environment where the working conditions are stable and the workers are, you know, dry and warm and not dealing with the elements where yeah. you're in. In, in Maine, where we have, you know, 7,500 degree days, and it was minus 15 degrees the other night. So yeah. Fahrenheit, Fahrenheit, that's what, minus 35, minus 40 Celsius. It's cold. <laughs> so, I, can yeah, see, it's cold. I can see so, some of the images on your website that it gets pretty cold there. Yeah, all the pictures of our houses all have snow on them. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so, I mean, that's... Um, and I like the notion of having control. The other big factor was um, I wanted to increase the scalability of our business. Um, 
I'm really excited about the products we've developed. I'm really excited about the way we're building buildings, and I feel like we're building, I feel like we have one of the best wall systems that exists um, in residential construction in the world. So um, I wanted to be able to take that and increase our market and increase the scalability of our business and be able to reach more people with a with a product that we're proud of and would like to be in the marketplace. And the more of these things we get built, the, the better off the world is um, if somebody's going to build something anyway. So more precise, I can see how that's an advantage because it's a better quality. Um, what what is scalability? Uh, what's the benefit of that for the customer? Is that is that a pricing benefit? Uh, potentially, that still remains to be seen. We're too early in the process. Um, scalability is more of a benefit to our business and will allow us to grow. So the focus was more business minded than than bringing a less expensive product to market, but obviously as we can increase volume and increase our buying power as a manufacturer, then those costs can get, you know, passed on to the consumer. Yeah. What the difference is, um, it's too early to say. We're still trying to figure that out, um, and it's a, it's a little bit of a moving target at this point. In a, in a year or two, I would have a much better answer for you. What's your um, range at the moment in terms of, of where you're building? We are shipping a house to New Brunswick, Canada in April that we're under construction of now. Right. Um, and we've set houses as far as New York um, and then, you know, obviously Maine and Vermont. Um, and we haven't done anything in New Hampshire or Massachusetts, but we've been as far south as New York and as far north as uh, as Canada. Nice, which nice. isn't too much farther north than we are, anyways. Yeah, yeah. You've mentioned some of the problems already, um, and the bigger picture of of the fact that your your system produces a better house. What's the the biggest problem that you see with standard building practice? Um, the biggest problem I see with standard building practice today is our dogmatic adherence to materials and methodologies that have been used since post-World War II in the United States. I think that there's been a very slow evolution um, in the United States for building best practices and methodologies, and I think that that's happened both in the residential sector and the commercial sector. Um, We have had the luxury of, you know, inexpensive energy up until the last, you know, few years, uh, which the rest of the world hasn't necessarily enjoyed, but that's been a big, I think, contributing factor to our resistance to change and our resistance to... Um, sort of get away from fossil fuels and look towards more alternative renewable energy sources. Um, but still, you know, we're we're fracking and we're trying to dig up shale sands and we're going to, you know, 
pick up last every last drop of oil that we can before we have to make a switch. Um, not that's getting into a sociopolitical conversation, not so much relative to um, building practices, but the the biggest thing I think is you know like I said a, a dogmatic sort of adherence to you know materials and methodologies that we have been using for 50 years, and it's all it's really a product of the the housing boom post World War II, the beginning of the track housing phenomenon in California at the uh, height in the 60s, and and we're still doing things the same way that we've done for 40 years. And and if you can't look to any other industry and say the same thing. In fact, can you imagine if you were driving to work in a in a 1972 Volkswagen bus, right? And, and yeah. that was a that was a great vehicle uh, in Germany in 1939 to transport stuff inside large warehouses. But I mean, you wouldn't you wouldn't use that technology today. And and, and we're still doing that with houses. And I just don't understand why, because um, it's not it's not necessarily a cost thing. I think it's. Uh, I think it's sociocultural, really. I, I, it's an interesting. It's a, that's an interesting talking point, and I think that question, in and of itself, deserves a, a, a segment. Yeah, well, it's it's such a common theme. It's um, you, we see it, it. It's definitely prevalent here in New Zealand. It's it's across Australia, UK, US. It's 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 not just locally specific. Uh, we're struggling with that same. Um, issue of building houses back to real basics. You know, we're we're still putting a pile of sticks together on site, and it's it's almost it's an archaic method of of constructing um, what for most people is our our biggest purchase. So you you yeah, mentioned I mean, um, you mentioned that um, you you jumped on passive house as a solution to that for we, we've talked a, a lot about passive house already on the show but in your mind how does passive house solve the issues or, or how does it help um right at the start you said anthropogenic climate change how does it help um improve that well i think for starters, by reducing the carbon footprint or the source energy or site energy or specific primary energy, whatever word you want to use to define what I would consider to be one's carbon footprint, by reducing that energy consumption by an amount that is corollary to what it needs to be reduced in order to reduce or in order for us to stay below that 400 parts per million of carbon dioxide. Um, so it's, you know, a metric space. The thing that has always attracted me about Passive House is it's quantifiable metric space building energy standard. And even though the codes are improving they're improving slowly and the adoption process and the enforcement process is is even slower than that so i think you're still seeing and and you know when i started getting into passive house the the the, the phrase was you know a 90 percent reduction in energy versus you know a code built building 
And if you look at that 90%, that's about what we re- need to reduce our our carbon consumption by in the next 20 years in order yeah, to, nice. you know, combat irrefutable climate change. So that's sort of the that sort of the notion. And again, it being a metrics-based, quantifiable solution makes a lot of sense to me. And and you can look at the numbers. Maybe it's 75 percent. Maybe it's 60 percent. It's it's greater than 60 percent. Maybe it's 75. Yeah. Maybe it's 80 or 85 percent. But whatever it is, it's the it's the next. It's the most logical step to invest in a building that reduces its overall consumption and then allows a small jump with renewables to get to net zero or net positive and actually produce energy. So it's a really good springboard and it's a really good baseline and starting point for design. Not necessarily an endpoint. And I think a lot of people are viewing passive house as the you know, the most stringent building energy standard, the most stringent global building energy standard. And I think those are short-sighted comments because, to me, that's really where we should begin the design process, not end it. Wow. Do you do you certify your houses? Uh, yes. Sometimes we do, sometimes we don't. Those are right. client-driven decisions. So. Right. Um, the first couple we certified and paid for it out of pocket. That got old really quickly. Yeah. Uh, so that's not a cheap Yeah, and it's you know we're doing what we're doing. The materials, the methodologies, the physics, the science is the same. Um, if somebody wants to invest in certification, some people find value in it. Some people don't, and it's, it really depends on the client. We're, we probably certify maybe. Maybe 20% of our projects. Okay, that's pretty. That's a pretty good rate. Do you um, do you um, uh, pressure test all of them? Yes. Right. So you you are multiple, you, multiple times. You know, yeah. Every every house that we build, every structure that we build, is built to the passive house standard. There's no cutting corners. There's no skimping. There's no tweaking thermal bridging. There's no. 0.7 ACH50. Our buildings are blower door testing. It, you know, every single building is below 0.4 ACH50 and well below 0.3 in some cases, depending on the geometry and size of the building. Yeah, um, nice. they're, they're passive houses. Whether they get certified or not, it doesn't matter. And if the client chose in five years to get the house certified, they could choose to do that. There would be no difference. There's a bit of debate at the moment, um, specifically in the U.S., whether the European standards for passive house are applicable, whether there should be a new, um, perhaps more lenient uh, um, standard, specifically for the U.S. Do you do you know much about that debate, and, and do you agree with that idea? Uh, you're putting my feet to the fire here. <laughs> I will say I I know personally, uh, and I know professionally several people, many of the people on both sides of that argument. Um, and if you're going to quote me, I need to really choose my words very carefully. But I get the uh, sense I that will... it's, it, it is a fairly sensitive topic right now. I mean, people are pretty passionate one way or the other about uh, whenever you mention Passive House. Well, I think that, you know, we're Americans, so to be quite frankly, it's our nature to take a good thing and fuck it up. 
<laughs> so I think that's what's happening with the standard. I tend to um, think that it's completely ridiculous. I think that relaxing the standards based on climate is ridiculous, and it smacks of straight-up American egoism, and really it's, I think, a product of Theus and Katrine trying to keep a business running and establish a business and establish a market share for her brand, which is Theus. And I think that she's doing what she needs to do to differentiate herself from the Passive House Institute and from Darmstadt and Wolfgang and Benjamin and everybody else that's been doing work over there for the last, you know, 20 years. Um, yeah. Where do I fall on that side of the argument? I fall on the, the Passive House Institute Global Building Energy Standard, not German Building Energy Standard, Global Building Energy Standard. And I think that the metrics, the science, and the physics work. I know they work in all the climate zones. Um, and I think that the notion that we or that Katrine or that Theus can take a paradigm that's established and, and make it better sort of smacks of American egoism. And it's ironic because Kat's German. I've known Kat for a long time. And it's like she's lost her Germanness and become like a full-on American, man. I don't like it. <laughs> I um. So I, I mean, and you're you're kind of proving that uh, it's applicable in that you're in one of the coldest places in in the country, and and you're achieving it. Yeah, and I yes, I and that's that's a that's true. It's a fact. We're doing it relatively cost-effectively compared to what normal construction costs are in our marketplace. Yeah, now that's, that's important um, because, not, I mean, you can, you can achieve it anywhere if you throw enough money at it, but you're doing it in a, in a, in a marketable way, and the clients are, are happy, and um, it, like you say, it's cost-effective, right? You, you're, do you have a... I, is there what sort of premium would a customer expect on your system versus just a code compliant house in Maine? It's too. I mean, a lot, it's hard to say because a lot of the stuff that we do is custom, and we're in the process of working on you know some stock prefab designs that we'll be right. launching over the next several months, which will allow us to get to a particular price point with particular specifications and have a really hard and fast number. Um, I would say that the premium is between 5 and 15% over normal construction, but right. there's so many variables because there is, all the houses are custom, so fit and finish is a huge variable, um, right. and the geometry of the house, the more jigs and jogs and dormers and things of that nature there are the more complex the geometry of the structure, the more extensive it is because the detailing, the thermal bridge-free detailing and the air tightness detailing um, and the weather barrier detailing becomes that much more complicated. So, um, but would that, And would that sort of premium be standard for a custom design versus a, a stock house anyway? 
yeah, I think that all those variables apply to any custom house. Yeah. Whether it's a, a code-built house or a, a passive house, those same parameters apply. You, you could ask me the same question, how much does a custom home cost? And I could just tell you, I give you the exact same answer, right? Yeah. I don't, yeah. It depends. The difference is that when you're finished your house, the, the owner's going to have hardly any, any running costs. That is a big that is a big factor, and it's it's interesting because what I found with the majority of our clientele is, and and even myself. So I I retrofitted our family house into a passive house. Oh, that's not easy. It was no, it's not. Um, I've done three passive wow. house retrofits. That's awesome. Um, yeah, thank you. So the. And I'm saying this from my own personal experience as well as feedback that I get from clients. I can tell you that living in a passive house is a different experience. I can, you can conceive of these things. We can talk about, you know, we can talk about gravity, right? Like we know that it's a phenomenon. We know that it exists. It's a, it's a physical law of physics. But you don't really think about it, right? It's just a, it's a conceptual thing, you know. There's this quality that allows things to go up and down and you know you don't know the apple falls on your head and okay well that's the product of of gravity and so there's this sort of disconnect between conceptual reality and the way we live in the world and i think from a building science and from an engineering standpoint there's that same sort of disconnect when it comes to passive house because you can talk about the energy usage, you could talk about the whole host of comfort criteria and maintaining, you know, homeostasis between, you know, surface temperatures of adjacent materials inside a passive house and all of these comfort criteria. I won't go into it, the details, but um, until you live in one and see how it operates and from an engineering standpoint, living in a passive house and, and wrapping your mind around the quanta effect and the distribution of air and airtight constructions and all of these other things that are sort of theoretical from a design standpoint. And then I live in a passive house, right? So I've built some passive houses. I've designed to turn our house into a passive house, and now my family lives in a passive house. And, and I think to myself, like, I, I can't ever live in any – I could never live it in a different way. I could never go back to living in a normal house. I could never – I just couldn't. It's, it's, I go to a, a hotel. I travel to Europe with my family, and we're in a, a nice hotel in Barcelona. And I'm thinking to myself, man, this place is the pit. I can hear the mechanical <laughs> system. It's too hot. It's too cold. I'm paying 300 euro a night for this room, and I just want to go home and sleep in my own bed in my own house. So, and, so the physical, the comfort, and I guess the emotion that you you find you feel inside that house far outweighs all the science and the technical parameters and stuff that, that you know as a professional um, and is often the, like the selling point, but it, it comes down to people really experiencing it. Is that is that the um, the, the result? That's, that's sort of the gist of it. I don't think that the, I don't think living in the house trumps all of those things because I do all of that stuff. So I am a designer. I, I engineer things. I, I I work in that world. What it has done is sort of coalesced everything into this, like, big picture. And, and the comfort 
is really the unsung hero and the untalked about hero of the whole paradigm because it's a very comfortable way to live. You know, it's when it's minus 15 degrees, my son wakes up in the morning and he has to go and look at a weather station in my home office. I have a home office, a little weather station there that he goes and looks at it because he doesn't know if it's cold outside or warm outside. It could be minus 15 degrees outside. It could be 60 degrees outside. He has to go into my office and look at the temperature to know whether to wear a short sleeve shirt or a long sleeve shirt to school. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Awesome. So the emotional, the emotional, Part of that experience is a product of being comfortable. And I think when people are comfortable, a house can become a home. We can live better, higher quality lives. And if we're doing that at the same time, benefiting the planet, reducing our carbon footprint and our impact as a species, and decreasing our cost of ownership as a consumer, those are all really positive things. And and for the people that understand that, it really becomes a no-brainer. Um, yeah. and, and, and I'm giving you my experience as a homeowner, and I get the very same feedback from clients. And clients will come to me, you know, we'll, we'll finish a house in July, and it's warm out, and it's, you know, blah, blah, okay, this is that, that, that. Everything's great, the house is beautiful, and they're moving in, and there's that rush and the hustle-bustle of a new home, and then I don't hear anything for months, and then I'll get a phone call in January, and Mark or Trudy or Deborah or somebody will call me and say, Chris, you know, we've talked about this. You told me that it would work like this. We had all these discussions. I never really... There's some sort of disbelief that people yeah. have that the homes really will operate like this. Yeah. And they wake up in January and this like 3,000 square foot house is being heated by the sun. And Mark calls me and says, listen, I just turned my mini split off. It's like 70 degrees in my living room. It's seven degrees outside and I don't have any heat on in my house. He's like, Chris, this is fucking brilliant. These houses are brilliant. Thank you for building this house for us. He's like, this is the best house I've ever lived in. Nice. And nice. It's, that's, uh, you know, that's, that's good to hear. Yeah, they're, they're proving your dream. And, um, and I think it's, it's so good how you're walking the talk as well, uh, having done it to your own home because so, so often builders – never finish their own home and that's not really an option for for you to uh to be living in that sort of comfort hey chris well i'm i'm not an average i'm probably not an average guy so please don't (laughs) use me as the status quo um and my house is finished it is furnished it is complete it is decorated it is my family's home and I'm a designer, man. I like pretty stuff. So, yeah, yeah. and to give you an idea of the extreme, I just built a traditional Finnish sauna in the backyard that I built to passive house standards, just because I can. A passive house sauna. Excellent. <laughs> it was crazy, but I mean, why? It, there's no point. But it's, it was a fun thing to do. So, 
Hey, if someone is embarking on a, uh, it might be a retrofit, but um, more likely a, a new build, what would be the one piece of advice that you'd give them? If, if they're coming into this completely fresh, they're out there looking at houses and they're, they're sort of getting excited about it, what's the one thing that they should uh, they should do? Uh, could you restate the question? You have, in terms of if somebody's deciding between doing a retrofit and building new or no, if someone's I, I, just, I don't understand. If someone's just looking at, um, it might be one or the other, but they're looking at doing a building project. Like They're, they're not satisfied with their current house for some, some reason. They need a new house or they, they're wanting to build a house. Um, and, and they're not necessarily, they don't know about passive house maybe or they're just, they're, they're looking at building. What, what would be the, the, main thing that they need to do to ensure that they get a good outcome for that house? Um, I mean, I think that answer in all truth sort of is outside the scope of having anything to do with passive house. If somebody's getting ready to buy a home or build a home, it's one of the largest single capital investments that most families will make in their lifetime. So the more information you gather, the more uh, the more information you gather, and the more educated you can become as a consumer. No different than if you were buying an automobile or a stereo, the better off you will be in the process. And I think as you begin that process of either interviewing builders or going out and seeking uh, to purchase a building that's already existing. Um, just educate yourself and become as knowledgeable as you can to be able to ask the right questions and at least know what some of the answers are in order to be able to get back or to qualify some of the feedback that you get from from building professionals. Yeah. Um, and, and I would say the same whether somebody were buying a car or, or any other arbitrary thing. Um, and I find that the people that are educated and do do their due diligence um, are the people that come to us for, you know, advice and to, to work together and collaborate on, on those types of things. Um, it's interesting because if you mention retrofitting to passive house standard, that's a totally different animal, and I think that the money component and the fiscal responsibility component of retrofit changes. Um, and there's a whole, I can get into that whole topic about retrofit, but that's, um, it's not as cost effective as, as building new for a multitude of different reasons, but that's yeah. a different topic of discussion. Yeah. 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 Interesting. That, that's uh, We'll have to, we'll have to do a, a follow up on that one. Um, Hey, look, we, uh, um, it's been great talking to you, Chris. I know that you're, you're on the road, uh, so I really appreciate your time. Where can people get in touch with you and find out more? Uh, they could get in touch with us at info at ecocore.us. Great, and I'll put some, uh, some links to that in the show notes for this uh, episode. And you've got as we mentioned, some great images on the website so people can check out uh, your work and all that you do um, there. Are you guys, you're on social media as well or just, just the website would be the main place? Uh, just the website. Uh, 
website. I mean, I'm on Twitter. Um, I'm on Twitter personally. I probably should have EcoCore on Twitter, um, but I'm not as good about that stuff as I should be. <laughs> You're busy making good houses. That's that's the thing. Yeah. Awesome. Hey, well, thank you very much for your time, Chris. I really appreciate it. And um, I'm sure if people uh, are interested in it around your area, they should uh, definitely get in touch and, and have a look. Yeah, I, I appreciate it. Thank you for getting in contact with me. How did you find us, by the way, just out of curiosity? Um, I, I think it may have actually been on Twitter, actually. Um, uh, <laughs> <laughs> um, okay. And and every now and then I just do a search for who's doing stuff uh, high performance wise, and I guess passive house and prefab are are good key terms um, for me uh, because I know that yep. if someone's doing that stuff, they're probably doing things well or at least differently anyway. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, yeah. So um, keep up the the good work. I, I think it's fantastic, and it's so exciting to know that something that performs so well and is such a uh, um, I, I think it is the obvious way forward um, but for me the biggest excitement is that it's it's um, it's working as a business you know there's a, there's a good market there and there's demand and I think that is something that if, if more people can grow that sort of business then um, we're we're on a much better path uh, I, I agree with that I think it will take I think that will take some time, yeah. Um, but I, I think that that's true. If the market can bear, if the market can bear it, and and we're doing okay now, so I don't yeah. know. We'll we could check in in a year and, and ask me again. <laughs> awesome. Hey, thanks a lot, Chris. Uh, have a safe safe journey. All right, thanks, man. You're welcome. Have a great day. Chris Corson there from EcoCore, telling it like it is as he drives across America. I I love talking to Chris. Uh, it was a little bit different from what I expected. Quite passionate, and it's really encouraging to to find that passion, um, not just for passive house as such, but but that pure underlying desire to do something about the environment. And as Chris says, maybe he's a little bit um, a bit out there for, for uh, America. I don't know. I, I get a. I'd like to be optimistic about these things, and uh, I, I love knowing that there are people like Chris out there offering great solutions, proven solutions, not just for an energy efficient home, but also for one a comfortable and healthy home, but also one that's that's doing better for the environment. And that's really uh, Chris's motivation, which comes comes through pretty loud and clear. So good luck to him. And uh, if that is something that you are interested in, then definitely, and you're in that part of the world, that's northeastern uh, of the U.S., definitely do get in touch. You can find Chris at EcoCore, that's E-C-O-C-O-R dot U-S, very simple URL, EcoCore dot U-S. Chris is also active on Twitter at Corson underscore Chris. And I'll put the links uh, and his contact details in the show notes so you can find them. And they'll be all over at www.homestylegreen.com slash 99. That's uh, just the, the numbers 99. And if you're in this part of the world and you want a bit of help with your design, that is uh, down here in New Zealand, then give us a call. Um, 
And even if you're not in New Zealand and you just want a bit of advice and maybe it's just a bit of confidence when you're going out talking to a designer or a builder, then get in touch. Uh, love to hear from you. And um, also, if you want someone to cast an eye over your concept or your plans or even maybe get a little bit of a, a, a model done to find out if it's going to be uh, worthwhile adding a bit more insulation here or there or changing things around, I'd love to help you with that. So you can head on over to homestylegreen.com and find out more details about how to get in touch with me. Thanks very much to Nodora once again for bringing us this episode. If you are interested in insulated concrete forms as a building solution, head over to nodora.com. And if you're in New Zealand, then go to energyefficientbuilding.co.nz. Thanks so much for listening. Uh, love to get your feedback. You can always email me, Matthew at Homestyle Green. I'll be back again next week for episode 100. Stay tuned. Until then, go make a better place to live. <laughs>